You're listening to Episode 7 of the Floxy Hope Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Floxy Hope Podcast. This is Lisa Bloomquist, and today our guest is Brett. And one of the reasons that I wanted Brett on the show is, and, and why Brett's story is interesting, is that he was only 21 years old when he got floxed. So when he went into the doctor and said, um, I can't walk like I used to be able to, and I'm having aches and pains, the doctor really couldn't say, well, you're just getting old, or any of the many things that, uh, that floxies who are older than 21 are told. So, um, so Brett has his story and uh, very interested in hearing what he has to say. Thank you very much for being on the Floxy Hope podcast, Brett. Oh, thank you for having me, Lisa. <laughs> So can you give us a little bit of background? I told our listeners that you are 21 years old. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Right. So I'm a 21-year-old college student. I go to Elmhurst College in the western suburbs of Chicago. Um, I'm studying psychology, biology, and history. Not all majors, thankfully. (laughs) Biology and history are minors. Um, I've been involved with the student newspaper at my college for ever since the very first meeting they had my freshman year. So I've been pretty well-schooled in journalism so far. And my career interest after I graduate this coming May is actually in uh, science journalism, more particularly or specifically uh, medical journalism. So reporting on health, you know, on healthcare in America, maybe healthcare abroad, if, if that ever you know, comes up if the stars align in some way, uh, where that happens. Um, I guess it was a very slow transition to be interested in that kind of stuff, but after I got flocks, I certainly got a lot more interested in how the American pharmaceutical industry works, how doctors work in their day-to-day jobs, how they get trained, what what medical school provides for them and what medical school does may not provide for them in terms of what material is covered. Um, and I guess just the long-standing traditional Western conventional medicine bias against certain alternative therapies that may not have enough empirical support at the moment, but that could just be a function of the research hasn't, you know, the, the jury's still out. The research hasn't been done yet. So to put it in a nutshell, I'm a, you know, 21-year-old Chicagoan. I'm a college student, and I got floxed. And like you said in your introduction, there was no way no doctor would be able to write it off as I was just getting too old because I'm in the prime of my physical health, or at least I should be according to my age. Right, right. So can you tell us a little bit about your floxing journey, Brett? Sure. So it started at the, year, at the uh, very end of May uh, of this, well, not this year anymore. So last yeah, year. Yeah, Happy New Year, 2015. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, it started with an ear infection. Uh, of course, I got it the week before finals because things like that always happen the week before finals. And the doctor put me, my pediatrician of 21 years, put me on a uh, 10-day round of Omniceph, which is also known as Ceftonir, is its generic name, I believe. 
And, you know, that worked fine. It's a cephalosporin, so it works by interrupting bacterial cell walls, not bacterial DNA like FQs do. So that worked fine. The ear infection went away. And for a couple weeks, I was still congested more than I was used to, um, which at the very end of the story turned out to be allergies that were just developing uh, over several months. But in early June, so after the ear infection had cleared up entirely, I went back to my pediatrician because I was still congested and it didn't seem like it was going away, like it was a head cold or anything like that that might resolve itself. So the pediatrician examined me, asked me a couple questions, you know, pressed on my, my forehead and my cheeks and said, does this hurt? And I said, yes. And so she diagnosed me with a sinus infection that was not confirmed by a bacterial culture in any way, shape, or form. And so she put me on a 10-day round of Levaquin, uh, 500 milligrams once a day. And it was actually the generic, so it was the Levofloxacin instead of the brand name of Levaquin. And I remember it was a Saturday because I went to pick it up at Walgreens um, right after the appointment. And I remember getting back in my car and, you know, opening the little paper bag and looking at the side effects sheet. And of course, you expect every side effect sheet for every medication to be, you know, practically the length of the Bible in very small print. But it was just pretty concerning warnings about permanent nerve damage and neuropathy and tendon rupture. But the little disclaimer that happens, you know, in people 60 or older or people with kidney disease or, you know, folks with more chronic conditions than a 21-year-old would probably have. So I rather disregarded it at that point and just took the pill. And then later that day, there were a couple strange pains in my legs that weren't exactly localized anywhere. It was just, it was almost like, you know, after you went on a long bike ride or took a long run, just the generalized aches and pains you might get after some heavy exercise. But they were intermittent and they would come and go. And then the next day, Sunday, I took the second pill and it was basically the same thing, intermittent leg pains and aches. And then the Monday, it was June 9th at this point, just the start of my summer, so I was ready to take, you know, a good summer vacation, rest up from the semester. It was about three or four hours after taking the third pill of Levaquin, or the generic Levofloxacin, and I was walking around my neighborhood just because it was nice out and I wanted to walk around my neighborhood. And what I would describe as an unbearable tightness developed behind my right knee, almost like, almost like there was, it was like, you know, the reel on a fishing rod, like somebody was reeling in my hamstring. That, that, that's a metaphor that I would use to describe it. And so I made it home barely and, and sat down, put ice on it, of course, because I was just, my mind was racing with you know, was I walking too fast? Did I walk too far? You know, what is this the result of? And then I picked up the side effects sheet again, and I looked at, you know, a 
sudden tendon rupture and, and things like that. And then it just clicked for me. And I Googled it, and you know, as everybody's want to do when they don't know anything, I Googled it. And I just refused to take any more Levaquin after that. And it's just been a long journey since. Um, so did you go to your doctor? Did you call your pediatrician? The next day, so after the hamstring got really tight, the next day on Tuesday morning, I called the pediatrician and I told her what was happening. And she said, yeah, that can happen with Levaquin, but you know, in her 20 or 20 plus years of practicing medicine, she had never had it with any person so young or any person at all because she's a pediatrician. So she, the, the warning label says, you know, people 60 or older, so you might, she might not have expected to see any kind of adverse reaction like that. But she, it didn't sound, it sounded like she believed me, but she just wasn't familiar with what was happening or had no clue how to uh, treat it or, you know, help it in any way get better. So she agreed to take me off of it and put me on something that was, a lot, you know, comparatively a lot safer, which was Augmentin, which is just a stronger form of amoxicillin. Um, and at that point, I guess I was just swearing to myself that it would get better in a couple of days. You know, it was just a little bit tight. I would just do some stretches every morning. It would be okay. But that's not really what happened. Um, the tightness resolved after about two weeks, possibly two and a half weeks. Um, but by that point, you know, the, the, the damage was pretty much spreading along my right leg. Um, it got up to my hip muscles. So on the outside of my hip and on the inside of my hip, uh, occasionally it got up to the oblique muscles on the right side of my ribs um, it's pretty much left my arm and shoulder alone. Uh, my ankle, it, it basically just seemed to weaken all the tendons in my right leg and, and, and more generally on the right side of my body. I'm not sure why it was only on the right side of my body. Um, but I, I think I've seen that in other stories of other Floxies who have mentioned that it seemed to be confined to just one side of their body or one particular limb. Yeah, there seems to be some dominance of symptoms of the musculoskeletal right. symptoms in either the left side or the right side. It seems like the left side is more common. Um, mm. my, my symptoms were more on my left side than my right side, but every once in a while they'd switch. I'd, like, yeah. I'd, I'd have some symptoms in my right ankle or my right knee, even though my, my symptoms were left side dom dominant. Um, right. But right side dominance is also not unheard of. And it's, it's a really odd symptom that I'm not sure, I'm mm -hmm. not sure why the symptoms would be right or left side dominant or just why they would, why they even would be dominant on one side of the body. Are you right-handed or left-handed, Brett? I'm right-handed. Yeah, so, so, so am I. Yeah, so, so the right side of my body has always been stronger as it is with most people who's, you know, the, the side of their body that's the dominant side of their handedness is usually 
stronger and has more muscle. So I'm not sure why it would affect the right side more than the left side if you would think the left side would probably be weaker in the first place. Right. It's, it's a mystery to me as, as well. Did you have any of the neurological symptoms that a lot of people have? Did you have um, peripheral neuropathy or insomnia or anxiety? Um, there, was no, there was no insomnia. I've always been able, even during this, I've, I've been able to sleep pretty soundly at night. Um, thankfully for that, because I know one of my friends has had horrible insomnia from other causes, and it's just awful to hear his experiences. Um, the neuropathy was very early on. It, was, it lasted for maybe about three weeks, and you know it started pretty much right away after I got flocks, and then it slowly subsided over those three weeks, maybe up to a month. What it was was, actually, this was actually a left side symptom, one of my rare symptoms on the left side. It was on the back of my left calf, and it just it just was like a pulsing, tingling feeling, like almost like something was brushing up against my calf every couple of seconds. It, I would try to time it with my heartbeat, and it did not coincide with my heartbeat. It just seemed to have its own you know, internal rhythm. It was just like a tingling that would come for a second and go away for three seconds, come for a second, go away for three seconds. Um, so that subsided after about a month and it hasn't come back really, except for very short spurts maybe when I've really exerted myself. Um, I've been pretty lucky in not having a lot of the neuropathy as far as I can tell. I haven't had any burning limbs or freezing limbs or too much tingling except for the calf. So the neuropathy hasn't really affected me. Um, unless you classify anxiety as a neuropathy system, or not system, symptom. But I think the anxiety may come from the FQ, but it may also come just from the sudden realization that your body is falling apart for, you know, what seems to you no good reason. <laughs> yeah, from getting from getting poisoned. And yeah, yeah I, I think it's it's quite impossible to tell if the anxiety is just a natural and reasonable reaction to getting poisoned yeah. or if it's a symptom. And I think that I think that those two things can feed on each other a bit. But uh, but it's it's really difficult and maybe impossible to sort out the exact cause of the anxiety, but it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's certainly a perfectly reasonable reaction when at 21 years old, you can barely walk. Right. So, and no, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to ask, uh, um, what, what you ended up doing after kind of your, your doctor said, well, we don't know what to do. Uh, what, what did you end yeah. up doing to help yourself? Well, I went online, as, as I said, people are, want to do when they don't know anything about something. And I didn't find... Well, actually, Foxy Hope was one of the very first sites I found. It may, it may have been the very first site I found. And I just started reading every story I could find on there. Um... 
and pretty much adopting what, you know, within reason, what people said had helped them. Of course, magnesium was the biggest and most instrumental tool to uh, treat myself. Um, it, it was ba- all my knowledge was basically derived from people who had already experienced it and who were sharing their stories online, whether uh, on Foxy Hope or in some other you know area of the internet. Um, I, w- I would ask also just some of my coworkers, some of my friends, if they had ever experienced anything like that. And one of my friends, uh, family friends, had experienced uh, floxing before, and she had been put in a wheelchair for about a month and a half before she could finally muster the strength to you know, walk to the bathroom or get in bed by herself or something like that. So it was a very slow learning process, but eventually I just learned through other people's experiences and other people's stories what seemed the safest and most effective course of action to to take. That's great. You know, we're all... We're, we're all just trying to make it through this mess as best we can. And um, I'm really glad that the stories on Floxy Hope were able to help you a little bit and just give you some guidance. I'm a little bit yes. afraid that, that there are so many stories on there now that it's an almost overwhelming amount of, of information. But right. uh, yeah, magnesium is one supplement that, that, seems, that seems to help most, most people. So... Um, so so what other supplements are you taking and what seems to have helped? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, very early on, you know, I overloaded on everything that could possibly help just from even if one person mentioned that it helped them, I would try it. So I've tried, of course, magnesium, which I'm still, I, I, is it all right if I just say what I started out with and then what I'm taking now? Yeah, please do. Go for it. Okay, let me see if I can remember everything because there was quite a bit. Of course, it was magnesium, I think citrate, magnesium citrate I started out with. Um, CoQ10 and PQQ, which contrary to what a lot of other people say, I never really noticed that it helped me or made that significant of a difference. Um, Vitamin E, vitamin D, uh, vitamin C, a good multivitamin, which of course is not from Bayer or Johnson and Johnson. Um, a vitamin B complex, which I've uh, stopped currently, just because I don't feel that I need it anymore. Um, there was actually a herbal uh, extract, I guess you would call it. Called Cissus quadrangularis. I'm not sure if you've ever if you've ever heard of it, but uh-uh. it was actually recommended to me by one of my cousins who is a competitive bodybuilder. And he said he said whenever he injures a tendon or pulls something, he always takes that extract, and it supposedly helps uh, the tendon rebuild itself. Can you say the name of that again? Cissus. So C I S S U S quadrangularis, Q-U-A-D-R-A, 
N-G-U-L-A-R-I-S. I've never heard of that before. That's really interesting. Thank you for, for mentioning that. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure there are, oh, of course, glucosamine and uh, MSM uh, combined in, in one uh, pill. And that's about all that I remember supplement-wise. Um, so the things I'm currently taking, which I've drastically cut down uh, on the things that I feel that I need to keep taking. Um, of course, I take magnesium, and I take it in a liquid form. It's actually a brand called Liquimins, so it's a play on the word vitamins, but it's liquid, so it's liquid mins. Um, I think it's 300 milligrams, and it's got other trace minerals in there too, so I just mix it into a water bottle and drink it throughout the day. Um, apple cider vinegar, on and off. Um, the, the, good, the good multivitamin, some vitamin C, uh, glucosamine and MSM still, and some calcium because it turns out I have a milk allergy or a milk sensitivity, so I had to take some calcium to replace that uh, lost nutrient. And really, that's about it. I'm, I'm trying not to overload with so many different, you know, this herb and that herb and this herb and that herb just because I feel that they could interact in certain ways that might make, you know, it, it could make it worse. It, they, you know, they may be fine individually, but you don't know all the interactions that they might have inside, inside of you. So I try to, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible as time goes on. I think that that's probably a generally good idea. You know, I'm, I take a bunch of supplements. My supplement story is very similar to yours of just kind of, mm -hmm. um, at first I tried every single supplement that I heard about. And then, then just, you kind of have to pair things off a little bit. Like as they, as it yeah. starts to get expensive, as you, as you start to, um, just listen to your body and realize like what helps you and what doesn't help you. And as, and as you do more, do more research, you know, we each have a very individual journey and, right supplements aren't the only thing that helped you, right? Like, do you want to no. talk, talk about some other things that um, have made you feel, be feel better and have helped you through this floxing journey? Right. Well, it's just been time, really, of course, is, is the biggest healer of all. And I know to, to those who are, you know, just starting this journey or still going through it, as I am still going through it, generally getting much, much better. Um, time is the hardest thing to accept as what will help you because we've become used to what, what I call a pill for every ill society. You know, if you take this pill within 30 minutes, you'll be back to where you used to be. I don't think it's fair to yourself to compare where you were pre-floxing and where you are now post-floxing, especially if you're very early on in the process, just because you'll, you'll become disheartened, you'll become depressed, and you'll want to give up. I know I certainly did, probably up until mid-July, when, when things finally started to seem to 
turn a corner and by no means am I 100% recovered. Um, but certain things help family and friends help even, even if they may not be able to understand exactly what you're going through, just an expression of sympathy or empathy, or, you know, maybe they'll cancel plans with someone else to spend time with you or, or, you know, they'll, they'll give you a little present or a little trinket or something like that. That, that can help a lot. Just even if they can just listen to you talk about what you're going through, you know, I'm, I'm a psychology major, so I'm aware of people saying, oh, you know, talk therapy doesn't really work. Well, I think those who have been flocked or anybody who's gone through a traumatic event knows that just talking about it to somebody who cares and who listens uh, will can dramatically help you in, in terms of psychological well-being. Uh, something I, else I that agree. is... I agree completely. Like, the, yeah. just empathy is helpful. Acknowledgement is helpful. Love yeah. is helpful. Community and family and all of those things are incredibly healing. And I, I recently read an, a New York Times magazine article about these mm-hmm. communities where people live extraordinarily long lives. And and a lot of people are trying to dissect, like, okay, well, what is their diet like? And and right. how, how much do they exercise? And exactly what kind of exercise do they do? And one of the conclusions was that these people live a long time because they're happy and -hmm. they have a good community and and a lot of support in their community and I think that that is incredibly valuable and um, it was something that that helped me a lot too and I think that it's um, really undervalued in our pill-popping society where we're like oh no the 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 answer is in chemistry the answer is in is in uh, popping this pill and Mm. I think that that way of thinking and that system unfortunately failed us and and looking at things in an alternate way and and really um going okay no that's not what's going to heal me it's not going to be those pills it's going to be my body's natural healing abilities and um things that are healing laughter is healing yes um love like I said, is healing. The arts are even healing. And, and I think that those things are very undervalued. So um, continue I, on. I, <laughs> I, I was actually uh, going to speak about the arts. You know, as I said, I'm a writer. And I write both nonfiction, my science journalism, which I do primarily at school. And I write fiction. You know, I, I'm the author of uh, two books, uh, on Amazon, and they're you know literary fiction, and no, they're not the best books in the world. But Don't one of my yourself short, plug them. What what are they? <laughs> what are they called? Let's, we'll look them up. Maybe sell a few. Uh, sure. Um, my my first one was called The Updraft, which is a novella of about twenty two thousand words, which is about almost almost kind of like an allegory for Floxy, even though, you know, I had no idea it was going to be at the time that I wrote it. It was just, it's about a 16-year-old kid who lives in Oklahoma, and it's not exactly like the Wizard of Oz, but a tornado comes along and just demolishes his hometown, and he just has to learn how to rebuild. 
Um, I think that just whatever self-expression or cultural expression or artistic expression that you can accomplish in whatever physical or mental or emotional state that you may be in, I think will ultimately be helpful even if you're writing about painful things, even if you're um, painting about painful things, singing about painful things. I think there's a certain benefit to just the cathartic activity of that. Um, One of my... I guess one of my goals after floxing was that I would know I was starting to get back to myself, if if not my old self, a new self, but just myself, period, when I would be able to feel inspired and creative and be able to write again without, you know, each word feeling like I was trying to pull an anvil out of my head and put it on the page. Um, And that took until probably August or September where I was able to calm my thoughts enough to sit down and just start a story and let it flow out of me. Um, Just just being able to, to write again is probably one of my biggest benchmarks, you know, having, having accomplished and reached that, uh, you know, I write every day. I usually write 500 to a thousand words a day in, you know, on another novel, of course, that I'm working on. And like I said, just being able to express yourself, even if it's painful things, I think can be really beneficial and helpful to you. I, I agree completely. And writing, and writing for Floxy Hope, even though, um, mm. even though it is writing about something that a painful time in my life has been incredibly helpful for, for me. And uh, just expressing myself in words and helping people and, and, you know, having this community of Floxies and these people who, who I'm helping and who are helping me too. Um, the Foxy right. community has helped me immensely, and and it's it's valuable. It really it really helps, and it's it's invaluable, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like we we could not live without it, without community, and without love, and that's certainly been a realization that that I've had, and and yeah, likewise, the arts are healing. I. I found dancing to be incredibly healing. And I'm not a good dancer. I am not a good dancer at all. <laughs> but I okay. love to do it. And, <laughs> and I think that, that, that that's what, what matters. And, and also when I was dancing, I was able to prove to myself that like, I could do that again. And you know, when, you're, when your right. body is affected, when your ability to move is affected, um, I really had to ease myself into dancing. But mm-hmm. I, I can do it. And it's amazingly healing to just move your body in in yeah in rhythm, and and to hear music and to move to music and and things like that. Like that's that's what I found to be healing. But like different people like different arts. But I think that uh, they are incredibly healing and undervalued in medicine. I think that there's yes. a lot of room for for. Uh, artistic expression in healing and in medicine. And, and going off what you said, just 
you know, you, you like the rhythm of just moving your body. And for me as a writer, and you're getting into writing too, and I think you're a pretty excellent writer. Um, but yeah. (laughs) Um, but you, you like the rhythm of the motion of your body. I like the rhythm of the motion of words. You know, there's an ebb and flow to linguistics. And if you can capture it and pin it down on the page, that's just ultimately satisfying to me. And you're just able to create new characters, new worlds, new places. Of course, infused with certain experiences and places and people that you've met in your lifetime but just making that kind of combination and mixture of both the the real and the unreal is really healing to me yeah yeah it's it's fantastic I've never really thought of writing as having a rhythm um when it like in prose like mm-hmm. I understand that in poetry it does but uh but I've, mm-hmm. I haven't really thought about that before except it 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 does it does have a have a rhythm to it, and you can really get get lost in it. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely a, a healing a healing thing. So you had mentioned in when we had talked prior to this interview that your perspective mm-hmm. had really had really changed quite a bit. And I know you've you've right. touched on that as as we've been talking. But do you want to elaborate a little bit on on how your perspective has sure. has changed since getting floxed? Sure. I guess I would say I just, it's not that I can't trust doctors and pharmacists and nurses anymore. It's just they have to work harder to earn my trust now, a lot harder. Um, I no longer go to the pediatrician that prescribed me uh, Levaquin, and I know I'll be able to forgive her at some point in the future, and I'm probably a couple months to half a year from being able to do that. But I just, I think the credibility that I, I had placed in her for so long is just demolished. But that's not necessarily true for the entire medical system because we can talk about the system as a whole and it's faceless and it's nameless. And, you know, the pharmaceutical industry as a whole is corrupt and profiteering off of you know, human suffering, but when you get down to it and you find, you know, a particular doctor who may not know what FQ toxicity is, but will listen to you and, you know, will carefully consider what you're saying and read whatever journal articles you may bring in for them to study, you know, just finding one doctor or one nurse or or one pharmacist who is not, you know, in line with the status quo, I think can do a lot to restore your trust in certain aspects of the medical system. But by and large, I would say that I'm a lot more cautious. You know, I'm a lot more wary of what I put on my body, especially if it's been, you know, manufactured by a company for the purpose of profit. Um... I wouldn't say that I'm medical phobic, but I'm just medical cautious at this point. Right. Like, there's, there's a bit of just seeing things differently after you get poisoned by a pharmaceutical yeah. that, every, that most 
people in the medical field ha think has an excellent record of safety and efficacy. And, and when you kind of dig into, dig into the story of why, A, why do they think that? It's a myth. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a myth that has absolutely no basis um, the, that they think that it's a safe drug. And then, and then B, like how these drugs actually work. And, and, and you start looking at, at how, how fluoroquinolones work. They're topoisomerase interrupters. And I don't know why anyone thought it was a very good idea to interrupt yeah. the DNA and RNA replication process of bacteria. It's not like we don't have more bacterial cells in our body than we do human cells. Except, you know what, that, that probably wasn't even really realized to give, right. to give the, the whole system a little bit of credit. Um, Naladaxic acid, I'm mispronouncing that, but that's okay, was discovered before, and, and naladoxic acid is the precursor to fluoroquinolones, mm -hmm. it was discovered before mitochondrial DNA was discovered. And so, mm -hmm. of course, it wasn't known what the effects of naladoxic, naladoxic acid on, flora, on uh, mitochondrial DNA was, because they didn't even know about mitochondrial DNA yet. So, you know, like there's there's that kind of timing disconnect, but at the but at the same time, right. like it should be obvious by how these drugs work, and the long, long, long list of severe side effects, and from patient reports that these drugs should not be taken lightly, and yet they're given out like candy, and there's there's something very seriously wrong with a system that does give out these drugs like candy. Yes, there is. And there are certainly a lot of other problems with the medical system that I'm only becoming more aware of because of, um, you know, my career aspirations to go into uh, medical and science journalism. But I think there's an important difference between being able to make generalizations about an entire system at large and, you know, being able to make generalizations about, you know, this particular doctor or that particular nurse. Like, like I said, I've, I've been able to find a physician who will listen to me and work with me where I am now and try to get me to where I want to be in the future. Um, and it's actually, he's actually an allergist. So he's treating me for, uh, my various allergies that I have, and he's he's worked with people with chronic fatigue syndrome, people with uh, chronic Lyme disease. So he's got one foot in Western medicine and one foot in alternative medicine at the same time. And if you're able to find somebody who can synthesize two different schools of thought like that, and you know, kind of take the best out of both of them, I think that will probably go a long way to not not only restoring your a, a certain amount of faith and trust in you know people whose jobs and livelihoods are to to try to treat people and make them better but just to feel better yourself because you can say to yourself you know there's somebody who's knowledgeable about this who can at least do something for me, even if it's more psychological than physical. Yeah, yeah, I think that having a guide is incredibly valuable. And even if it is um, just knowing that someone is there for you to help you along in this, 
very scary process, even if it is mainly psychological. It's important. Yeah. It, it, it really, is. it really is. So, Brett, we are running low on time. So, okay. do you want to give just some kind of parting words of advice, some parting guidance to the people who are listening? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent recovered. You know, I get aches and pains in my in my legs, especially my right leg, that will come and go, and that's the most important thing, that they come and go. And I found that as time goes on, they will come and go far less, and they will come for far less time than the time that they're away and, you know, disappeared. I think the most important thing to let happen is the passage of time. You know, I'm... I'm a little bit, little bit over six months out of this now, and um, there's still a ways for me to go. You know, I, I almost tore the tendon in my ankle next to my Achilles tendon, and you know, some, di- some days that'll hurt, but then the next day it won't. Um, and some days something else will hurt, and the next day it won't. But I think just realizing that most people do get better with time, most people do get better with taking magnesium, the most important thing you could take at this point. Most people do get better just through the support of their family and friends, the support of their artistic or cultural self-expression, the support of just both being able to realize that, yes, life is fragile and it can be, you know, it can have a wrench thrown in it at any time. But at the same time, yes, life is fragile, but that can inspire a certain amount of gratitude for the life that you do have at this given moment or that you once had or that you may have in the future. You know, um, there, there's a quote, and I'm probably going to absolutely butcher it trying to paraphrase it, but it's something like, how blessed I am to have loved something so much that it makes it hard to say goodbye to it. And I guess that just puts it in perspective that you may be hurting right now and you may be hurting for the foreseeable future, but everybody has a future that you can't foresee. And from, for most people who've been, who've been floxed, who've been affected by FQ toxicity, that, that future will be considerably brighter if not entirely brighter than than where you are now so that's what I would say that's great thank you that's <laughs> that's really um a, a very lovely quote and sentiment and uh, <laughs> I appreciate you being on the Floxy Hope podcast Brett I'm going to sign off now and thank everyone for listening and also give a little shameless plug as I say goodbye to uh, please review the Foxy Hope podcast on iTunes. The more reviews, the more iTunes will pay attention to it and the more iTunes pays attention to it, the more they will automatically spread the word about you know, this new upcoming podcast that is the Foxy Hope podcast. So um, again, Brett, thank you so much for, for joining us and everyone have a blessed and wonderful day.